0: Hello and welcome to the Union News Podcast. Yes, hello, welcome to the Union News Podcast, the UK's only all-things union programme. Produced for your downloadable digital delight and overall appreciation. In this episode, all day of the Pharmacists' Defence Association Union and why now is exactly the right time for the union to have new structures for equality, diversity and inclusivity. And my take on an unseemly spat between Conservative MPs on the Education Select Committee and our teaching unions, what's the truth of the matter? Hello listeners and you're very welcome to this latest episode of the Union Do's podcast. Later on in this episode I'll be taking an in-depth look at the spat last week between the Education Select Committee or some members of it and the teaching unions. What's What's at the root of that? What's the way forward? What's the way out of the challenge of reopening our schools as safely and as quickly as possible? We've got our special guest, Paul Day, who's the director of the Pharmacist Defence Association Union, coming up in just a moment. But first, just you know, leave through the papers this morning. I'm, I'm grateful to Tom Hunt, the Sheffield Political Economics Research Institute, who's flagged a piece in the Financial Times. Two-year delays are being reported now for employment tribunal cases to be heard and a four-year delay for complex cases, inevitably, as Tom points out um, this will deter workers from challenging unfair treatment by employers. It's an underfunded system. It needs investment to add capacity, not the reintroduction, as some people are suggesting in government, of tribunal fees. Justice delayed is justice denied. You could say, but... On the other hand, you do have senior investment managers saying that senior pay should be the first thing to go if you, if companies are looking to cut costs because of the COVID challenge. Mirza Beg, who is a bigwig at Aviva Investors, has made the call. He said that companies should do the right thing as they mapped out their response to the pandemic. Uh, and it means, uh, says the Guardian, quoting uh, Mr. Beg, any pain should start at the top we've been communicating that any pay cut should affect senior managers management first whether that means a cancellation or reduction of bonuses lower future share awards or even temporary suspension of salaries well if Aviva are telling you must be the right thing I suppose anyway um, enough of leafing through the newspapers let's turn to our special guest Paul Day who uh, I had the pleasure of chatting to and catching up with uh, a couple of weeks ago he talks about the growth of the Pharmacists Defence Association Union over a very short period of time, really little more than 10 years, their struggle uh, with boots to gain recognition, and what they're doing to increase their capacity and their influence when it comes to equality, inclusion and diversity. Here he is. Paul Day, Director of the Pharmacists Defence Association and the Pharmacists Defence Association Union. Welcome to the Union Jews podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Well, Listeners, you may not be aware of the, the the tumultuous and and very important history of the union that that Paul is director of. So, so Paul, could you could you give our listeners a kind of breakneck breakneck speed a, a potted history of the PDAU and particularly your fantastic battle for recognition with Boots?
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, we're only eleven years old as a trade union. What happened was uh, as a sector pharmacists unlike many health professionals didn't have uh, their own union for a long time there had been one back in the mid 1900s which then merged into a bigger union and, and sort of disappeared as an independent union and, and so 15 20 years ago a case where sadly uh, a patient died and it became clear that the individuals concerned were getting labelled with all the blame for that tragedy, but the employer wasn't being held to account for the circumstances they'd helped create. So our founding pharmacists said, you know what, looking at the structure here, there's no one standing up for pharmacists. We're in an environment where there's lots of organisations, but they mainly speak for employers. And whereas a few generations ago, pharmacists owned the pharmacy, now, Most people are employees, so an organisation was founded. Firstly, provided indemnity insurance only. Then it became a membership organisation, the PDA, the Pharmacist Defence Association, built on the model of the medical defence unions, which doctors and other health professionals use for indemnity purposes. But then the union started representing individuals with employment issues, and at first the employers were happy to do that and then of course we started winning and, uh, <laughs> and then they said well hang on you can't come in here you're not a union so we became a union so in my office back in the offices I've got our certificate in a in a frame on my desk our certificate of independence which we got after a couple of years of listing as a, as a trade union and then built on the membership that was there for the indemnity we've built this trade union so that members get the combined support of the Indemnity, the Defence Association, and the Trade Union. So quite a package of support. Yeah,
0: a real pa- really powerful and comprehensive package. But Boots, as the largest employer of pharmacists in the country, were, um, you know, they, they were they weren't terribly comfortable with the idea of an independent trade union, were they?
1: No, not at all. And, and in fact, they're the largest employer of pharmacists in the world as a group. Um, so uh, we, we, we looked at our membership. We said, well, OK, we're a trade union obviously we need to start looking at recognition so that we can be in there championing the calls, not just going through the courts and helping people with individual cases. So we went to Boots. We said, look, we're the trade union. We've got thousands of members. We'd like to apply for recognition. We applied. They persuaded us to withhold our application so that they could have a talk more with us and in secret signed a deal with an in-house union which failed to get a certificate of independence because the certification officer identified they were clearly very possibly uh, under the control of, of boots. So that kept us out. We had 80 years of legal battle and eventually were the first and still only trade union to have used the law to take out the arrangement that an employer is using with a with an in-house union to allow members to vote for an independent trade union. And we did that and we won. And so we won the first ballot and got rid of the arrangement with the Sweetheart Union. Then we won the second ballot and got recognition. And that feels like a lifetime ago, but we actually only signed the agreement with Boots on the 10th of July last year. so. this it's not even been a year that we've had a recognition agreement
0: in place. My goodness, I didn't. I didn't realize it was that recently. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about this before, of course. I I'm, I'm, listen, this it really is a remarkable, a remarkable story uh, that that is worthy of closer examination. But, but I, you know, in my mind, it was like two or three years ago as well. Goodness, goodness. Yeah. So, 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 given that long history, how have things been with Big Boots as an employer? Now, have they actually kind of thought, oh, you know what? this you know we gave it a good go we lost we've now got to construct a new relationship or has it still been a bit rocky
1: well i mean obviously what we've done is is got the the members in that organization trained them up and built a network of reps so that those people so we are doing more representation of individuals that's the first thing we've got more profile internally boots as per the agreement are handing out our information to new employees when they join So, you know, we've got those kind of basic structural things in place. I mean, we did, we literally signed the agreement on, I think, the Wednesday and on the Friday of that week, submitted our first pay claim. So we went through a pay negotiation. We got, uh, you know, pay increase, but also some structural changes to the pay system, the arrangements around it. That was in, uh, well, that was finalised in October. Then in January, we got some more, pay increases to the newly qualified pharmacists so it's delivering results i think from boots point of view obviously one can never see in the minds of other people you can only see their actions but there is clearly not a practice of thinking we are doing something therefore we should consult with the representative of our of our workforce yeah, yeah, so yeah. i've got you know so where those things happen whether that's just, you know, momentum of previous practice where they haven't had to do that, I don't, or it could be intent, but we don't mind it, and we're happy, we've got a good working relationship with them, but by no means is it, is it perfect, of course not, because, you know, we, we, and, we and any employer as a union, we and an employer have areas where we agree on stuff and areas where we don't, so... Yeah. You know, it's working, know. but it's working. I mean the thing That's is good.
0: it's working. That's good. And I've
1: been around the movement for a while and it's a, you know, it's a reasonable arrangement. Mm. We're delivering results for our members, we're we're highlighting issues, and you know, we're negotiating stuff, there's other stuff uh, where we're being consulted on, on matters, and it's clear that you know what we've said, and we I would say this explicitly to any employer, if we have a view on something. We express it. If you don't want to listen to that or don't want to act on that, that's your choice. But that doesn't make the issue go away, and it <laughs> yes. certainly doesn't make us go away. And, and it so, doesn't mean to,
0: what you're saying is wrong either. Yeah.
1: No. So what that means is, if if topics come up and we disagree and we go through the machinery and we, we don't get it the right what we think is a fair outcome through through the machinery. We can just, you know, we've got the mechanism, we can highlight that to the membership and, you know, there's consequences of how we highlight it or how we act on things. And of course, as a trade union, we've got, you know, a number of tools and options open to us. But I I think it takes time for that to become the normal practice because less than a year ago, if boots were changing something for that population of pharmacies, they didn't consult with the union and now they do.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a legacy, isn't there, that that takes time to work its way through through the system, and sometimes it, it really is. It, it 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 is innocent in the sense that that people just don't get it because it's never been pointed out to them. You know, it's never been pointed out that there's a better way to do business, and there's a different way to doing business when you've got a collective agreement with a trade union than when you when you haven't.
1: And and you know, I'm. I mean, you know me. I'm a, I'm a bit frank speaking. I I I say to people directly. You know. If we can do this together and reach a, a joint position, then let's, let's jointly communicate that. If you don't want to do a joint thing with us, that's up to you. But we're still going to do something and you might not like it. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I talk to employers like this and always have because that's just straight. You know, it's just straight talking. And, and so that's the option people have. They're adults. We're adults. You know, as you go through life, you have these choices. And I, and I think it, it becomes an interest. And I would say I've, I've also, in my, in my career, I've been an employee relations manager for a FTSE 20 company. So I've, been on, I've sat on both sides of the table, which I think helps me. And, you know, that's the deal you strike, isn't it? You realise if you, if you do something, there are consequences. And, and you know, I think we're all, we all learn that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Life's life's a learning curve, isn't it? That's for, that, that's for sure. So, so the relationship with with boots is, is kind of bedding in, as it were. Still, it's very. I, I didn't really know what you were going to say when I said how's the relationship now. So it's good to to hear that there is a good working relationship. Meanwhile, the union itself is developing, isn't it? And and I noticed that I think in in April you took a decision to actually launch a series of equality networks, equality and diversity networks. I think there are, are there three of them, are there? One, one for BME, one for women, one for LGBTQ. And, no, one, but, for
1: ability, for and one for disability. Uh, so
0: four for, for as well. So, so apologies for missing that, that one out. What was the thinking about about why the networks were needed and the timing of launching them now?
1: Well, actually... You know, as I say, we've been around as a union for 11 years. It obviously is something we deal with in casework, but we said we want to be more proactive on equality issues. So we've been, been thinking about creating equality networks. Actually, the, the women's network, what happened was, middle of last year, we discovered that a 100-year-old National Association of Women Pharmacists was basically uh, about to fold because the current executive were all kind of into retirement and were trying to hand it over and hadn't been able to generate fresh blood into the organization and so they announced look at the end of this year we're going to fold so we approached them Uh, i had a number of conversations with their president and and executive committee and we ended up absorbing that network Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. our organization as our first equality network. We weren't necessarily going to start with a women's network, but we've done that. So we've kept that organisation, which is now in its 115th year, ticking over. And whereas mm-hmm. it was almost, you know, I think numbers were like down to sort of 50. We've got 500 members in it now.
0: Wow, that's good. That is good news. It's
1: brilliant. I mean, we're really happy. So we've, we've created that women's network. And then we said, well, hang on. And we'll, you know, always our plan was others. And so on the same model, we've launched... Uh, a BAME network, an LGBT network, and uh, what we call the ability network for, for colleagues with um, with disabilities, which in in pharmacy, you know, it's, a lot of it may be sort of cognitive stuff, you know, we've got, we've mm. had a number of cases, we had a, a recent Asperger's case where uh, pharmacists for a long time had been working, I think she had 20 years service, and in employer decided to deliberately set uh unachievable targets and and she ended up with two hundred pound compensation so you know there's 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 disability issues where, which we're pursuing that but we've created these four networks and we've said to members look if if you're interested in this in this in this area you know whether it, whether it's you or you're you're an ally and you you want to support this this work connect in through there and of course the, the issues of the, the greater, as well as events in America, the issues of, you know, greater risk to people of, of BAME ethnicity from COVID is a, is a key issue, which shows where our network is really needed. That particular one has actually come to the, to the fore at the moment.
0: On the one hand, you can think, oh, so, you know, these these are inauspicious times at which to make to make very significant changes to structure. But on the other hand, it's precisely because of the circumstances that these sort of changes are necessary. And I, I imagine your BME network, in particular, notwithstanding the terrible events in the states over the last the last week or so, you know, has been a real um, has been a real source of comfort and support and practical advice for your for your members uh, in the BME communities. Well, it's
1: a way of bringing people together. I mean, it's still, I mean, you know, it's, it's a month or so since we launched it, so it's not fully established. But, yes, that's, that's its intent, and it means that we're able to create a group that we can ask questions of, that we can get focused responses to on topics that affect that community, yeah.
0: So the relationship then between these, these networks and, say, the union's policy making machinery, the executive council and so on, they are, they are advisory bodies in terms of making policy.
1: Yeah, and the way we've described it is we want each of the network, let's let's use the LGBT uh, network as an example, we've said it's a way of getting those members together, it's a way of letting pharmacists be involved in wider LGBT issues, but it's also it's a way of making sure that pharmacy is factored into those LGBT issues, we'd we'll, we'll describe it as that, and equally within the organisation, we want those networks to make sure that when we are developing our wider policy and our actions etc they are taking us to account to make sure we are thinking about that that aspect of equality as mm-hmm. well as as well as championing issues for for that that community so it, it's both those things it's making sure what we don't want to say is oh lgbt using that example lgbt stuff that sits in a box over there and that's yeah. not mainstream yeah. what we're saying is there are things which are LGBT-related, which we need to bring into the mainstream activity of the union. Equally, there is stuff we do as mainstream stuff which will have an LGBT uh, spin on it that we need to factor in. So in both bits, we want to just make sure we're equality. And we're very keen on what we call them EDI networks because you know lots of organisations have you know, management speak, isn't it? But you know, diversity and inclusion, well, where's the equality in that? You know, it's equality. Diversity and inclusion. Yes. We're yeah. tackling all those things. You know, diversity is having people of different characteristics. You know, inclusion is involving them all. But that's still not equality. The equality <laughs> is so critically important in
0: that. Yes, indeed, it indeed it is. I mean, how has it been for your members during the during the COVID crisis? Key workers clearly. I mean, I know you've got a number of independent pharmacists who who are a membership as well. So it, it must have been quite must have been quite a challenge. Must be quite a challenge. It, it, it has
1: been it is we've we've sadly seen a number of pharmacists die from from covid i mean our members are in hospitals where okay some of them are in the pharmacy but some of them are managing the medicines around covid walls so you know you've got different aspects of that and so all of the issues that relate to to hospitals are there lots of our members are in community pharmacies so you know your your chemist shop on your high street and because I mean I never go to my doctors I'm never I'm rarely ill I've had about a dozen text messages from my doctors saying stay away do not come to the GP practice I never do well I'm not really ill yeah so patients who have got a question rather than, they can't get into the GP, the hospitals are trying to keep people out because they don't want to spread COVID, understand they've all gone into community pharmacy. And so community pharmacy is uh, much busier than before. And yet, initially, when the government were talking about PPE or testing, it's all, you know, the mindset is all about hospitals, not about community pharmacy. And so there's been a number of things where We and the sector, to be fair, have had to lobby government to say, well, hang on, where you're saying PPE is needed, it is also needed in community pharmacy. Where they were talking about the the COVID compensation scheme for payment of of death uh, payout if if someone dies from, from COVID, Matt Hancock officially stated, let me clarify, but we are clear, the initial declarations from the government were that community pharmacists would not be included in that. Even though they should. But we got that clarification or U-turn or whatever you want to call it. We got that to happen by, um, by challenging that. Because just because some of our members are employed by private employer, let's call it super drug or boots or whoever. And so they're delivering NHS services, but they're employed by a private employer. So is everyone who works at a GP practice because GPs yes. are private employers.
0: Yes, indeed. So it's
1: the same structurally. That's the same arrangement. And I think a lot of government in England, I have to say, not so much in the rest of the UK, but in England, the mindset was, oh, there's the NHS over here and community pharmacies over there. But community pharmacies are a critical part of the NHS.
0: So so. we've had
1: lots of those sorts of issues to deal with. Unlike our members in hospitals, some of our members are working in places where the area manager is a salesperson, not A health professional and so we've had issues where pharmacists are saying look at this guidance it says you're not allowed to wear PPE so blocking people from wearing PPE when they're seeing patients and that sort of thing so we had a number of issues and, and we're still pursuing that
0: indeed and I suppose the the future is is more of the same isn't it because actually the 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 test track and trace is stuttering staggering not yet on it on on its feet there's clearly no cure people are still going to be heavily dependent on your members the service they uh, and the they provide the advice the advice that they give and i suppose there may be tensions made there because the public mood the public expectation is changing you know there's a there's a you can almost i don't know about you i can almost feel it helpably people are thinking well you know we could be a bit more relaxed about this now whereas in fact the risk yes. is still very much there
1: so you know uh, you know perhaps an anticipated second wave of increased deaths in in july august maybe september could happen for our community pharmacy members uh, you know and, and also think of this when a vaccine comes for for covid actually but the flu vaccine season will soon be on us and so are people going to be going in Asking for you know, so you've got physical contact between our pharmacist members physically inoculating people or vaccinating people um You know, that's an issue. Yeah, it, it, it's gonna keep going and, and you know, people often go to the to their local community pharmacy because they're sick
0: Yes, it, yes it, it, <laughs> yeah. indeed, indeed, that's the irony, isn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so th- there is there is that risk and we, we're particularly at the moment looking at the the, the track and trace because there's almost this and the guidance from Public Health England has been, we think, questionable and we've challenged that because it's almost this guidance that says if you're on the bus, you need to wear a mask. And, you know, if you're in a supermarket, you need to be socially distanced. But in a pharmacy where people have come because they're sick, some of these places, if you think of a local pharmacy, yeah lots of local pharmacies are very small places and people can't socially distance and you know, PPEs may be... Not in supply, or they'll be back. there will be if there's shortages of supply, community pharmacy will be behind the hospitals in the supplied line. You know, there's lots of challenges there for pharmacist members trying to keep safe, and indeed, not not if and we don't want them to catch it for their benefit, but also we don't want a succession of patients who are sick coming in and catching it from them.
0: You mentioned the relationship with the uh, with, with sort of the employers and the you know the trade body, as uh, as, as it were. Is that is that something that is pretty durable? Are you on the same page as many of the employers here?
1: In places, but not in, entirely. I mean, one of the other things, a campaign we've, we've been pushing for a while, for years, but has sadly got traction during this pandemic, is the instances of violence against community pharmacists. Mm. So we've had, you know, threats and intimidation and physical abuse and assault, you know, racism, all sorts of stuff. And we've been campaigning on this for a while, but in this pandemic, it has, you know, the numbers have, as far as we can see, more than doubled, perhaps, you know, increased significantly. But what our campaign has got the traction of Police Scotland and most, I think, of the police commissioners across the rest of England and Wales, various police forces. We've got a poster which has got the endorsement of the National Chief Police Officers Council. So we've done that. Some employers were happy to sign up to zero tolerance of violence. Other employers were happy after a bit of social media pressure from us to sign up to that. Because when we surveyed, and we got our story on on News at 10 and the Evening News, when we surveyed, some of our members were reporting instances where what happened was the customer came in, was aggressive to me, I reported him, the management gave the aggressor vouchers because of the inconvenience of me challenging their violence.
0: Goodness, nothing like a supportive employer, is there?
1: (laughs) Eventually, there are trade bodies that represent different sizes of employer, but there's three of those. All three of them have all signed up now to zero tolerance of violence. So, of course, our next stage is making sure that you don't just say you've got zero tolerance of violence. That actually, that's the lived reality. So we're we're pushing on yeah, that. Yeah. But it's a funny, funny is not the right word. But it's an ironic thing that from the pandemic and an increase in violence, actually, we've it's progressed our campaign against violence.
0: Yeah, often, often often the way isn't it? Often the way. If you can if you can scroll forward a little bit and we get beyond the crisis and things get back to some sort of normality, two two questions really, Paul. the, fir- the first is, what things that the union has developed to meet the challenge of the crisis do you think you'll hang on to and carry forward once the crisis has passed and the second thing is generally where would you like the union to be say in the next two to three years time
1: okay yeah so I mean one of the things we as a team and I'm talking to you from my dining room you know we as a team have just become remote workers uh, currently Uh, I think that might stay with us to some degree forever and it's also meant that because the technology which is available now we're equipping all of our members all of our reps with that technology so that we can hold more virtual meetings online meetings uh, as, as part of the union organization and you know delivering that but also we did our kind of first webinar using this technology during this pandemic and it's clear like a lot of organizations i think we talked about the online stuff but it was, you know reasons not to but forced into using it i think that's now going to be a way of reaching people because i mean we're a uk-wide organization but you know wherever you hold it the member in land's end has got a way to travel wherever you go really so you know it's a way of opening up our our training to to members across the piece so i think the use of the virtual stuff will go i mean our memberships been increasing lots of unions membership has been increasing during this pandemic yes, indeed. It's wonderful yeah wonderful to hear Ours has always been increasing, but, you know, we're very fortunate in that, so I think it's less pronounced among stuff because our membership's been growing steadily in the 11 years we've existed. We've now got 31, knocking on 32,000 members. Well, so, that's
0: excellent, that's excellent.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, the, the increase is harder to see because it's on an upward curve anyway, so that's good. So, you know, greater involvement for members, the equality networks, and we've also in the last... So just before the pandemic, really started establishing, hired our first organiser, started to deliver the, you know, the organising agenda and doing a lot more of that, which is something, I mean, I've been here three years, something I've of, of, you know was, was moving us towards, so we've done that as well. So we're going to be more organised. Historically, we, we came out of a service-minded organisation, so we're shifting to organisation, because what's happening is, as we're getting bigger and doing more stuff, as you'll know, that's not sustainable without organising. the members have to be doing. You know, our role has to become facilitating the members to help themselves rather than doing it for them.
0: Yeah. Do you teach someone uh, to? Do you give someone a fish, or do you teach them how to fish?
1: It's exactly that. I mean, those things are happening anyway, pandemic-wise. I mean, the other thing, particularly at Boots, of course, which, which we talked about, which was our first recognition, and it was already on our on our plan, but you know our involvement in health and safety is of course rapidly increasing because so much of our work at the moment has been about health and safety so that is an ongoing basis it will be part of what we do i think
0: excellent well paul thank you very much for spending time with us it's always a pleasure to see you and uh, and it's good to see that the the union's in such in such rude health given the constraints within which your members have to have to operate and some of those constraints are very real and, and pressing indeed i know so so best of luck going forward and uh, I look forward to, to, to us catching up on the other side, as they say.
1: Absolutely. And, and I want to say, Simon, as well, Union Jews, great idea. Really pleased that you're doing it. Good
0: Thank, luck you. With that. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. It's always a pleasure to, to catch up with Paul. And you can find other podcasts he and I have recorded together which deal in in more detail with the campaign to displace a sweetheart union from Boots and replace it with the PDAU as a genuine independent union. You'll find the links to those podcasts in the companion blog to this episode. I was particularly interested in what Paul was saying about his hopes and the, the union's intentions behind launching equality, diversity and inclusivity networks During this particular crisis, it seems to me uh, the right move to make sure that there is that capacity and that reach for the union in all its component parts to make sure it's both empowering, representing and protecting members, whatever their demographic characteristics. But I'd be interested in your views. What is the value of equality diversity inclus- and inclusivity networks which models work best which ones haven't worked where have there been unanticipated problems where have there been particular successes please email me at union jews at makes hyphen you hyphenthink.com. think.com you can tweet us at jews union join the conversation we'd love to hear your views <laughs> Pre-COVID normalities seem to have returned as MPs and teaching unions had a feisty exchange during the Education Select Committee session last week. MPs, and I'm afraid they were all Conservatives, were clearly frustrated, labelling the union's approach as, quote, actively obstructive, close quotes, a, quote, political campaign, close quotes, and one which intended to, quote, breathe fear into parents at the thought of sending their kids to school, close quotes. As you would hope and expect, Patrick Roach and Mary Boosted from the NAS, UWT and NEU respectively push back firmly. The government may see a full reopening of schools as the major factor in getting the country back to work, and you can understand why they have that view. But as the unions pointed out, using the Department for Education's guidance, which changes literally on a most days to most days basis, plus the social distancing requirements, it's it's impossible to see how a full return can happen. Uh, it, it just It just can't, put simply. Now the government is reportedly on the cusp of reviewing and reducing the two metre rule for social distancing but even if it's halved, huge challenges still exist and the teaching unions would be failing in their duty their absolute duty to their members not to make sure these are clearly set out and dealt with Now listeners, you will either be in the teaching community on the teaching side or the non-teaching side you'll have kids at school or remember your own school days think about the physical layout of the schools you know Got that picture in your mind? Okay how in practice can students and staff safely occupy that space? It's not rocket science. In many cases, they just they just can't, given the constraints. Now, perhaps if the 2010 government hadn't axed the Building Better Schools program, we might be in a different place. But don't get me onto that hobby horse, I digress. There is a real and serious challenge here. Government is now saying schools should reopen fully in England in September. But if the pandemic hasn't passed by then... And that's got to be a real possibility well what happens then look we're a union podcast not an education one so let's stick with the fundamental employment issue how can work be made as safe as possible modifying social distancing is one element but creating more spaces and other danish schools for example conducted some of their lessons in football stadium for a while should we be looking to do something similar blended learning part in person in school part online remotely seems inevitable Where is the programme to make sure school operations are properly resourced, cloud-based and still adhere to safeguarding standards? And, of course, there's the wider debate about the environment in which school activity is taking place. Increasingly, concern is starting to shift to what could end up being a forgotten generation of young people. Teaching unions have a proud record of caring for their members, yes, but also caring for their families and schools as well. So, for example, NASUWT was quick to welcome the announcement on Friday of £1 quid's worth of extra support for children whose education has been disrupted, but warned that a catch-up plan is needed for an extended period. But, you know, credit where it's due to the Department for Education. Union Jews is fully behind the teaching unions, whose members, like the rest of us, may be anxious, shielding, isolating. MPs traducing them for protecting their members and the rest of us need to back off and join the search for solutions instead the websites of unions representing teaching and non-teaching staff are an excellent resource for parents as well as members they're all signposted posted in the companion blog to this podcast which you can find by hopping over to www.makesyouthink.com or you can google uk teaching unions coronavirus and it will take you to the same place <laughs> Well, that's just about it for this episode and this series of Union Jews. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with us for this past half hour or so. Hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. Hope it's maybe made you think, whether it has, for good or ill. Please do let us know what you think uh, about what's on the show, what you'd like to see on future episodes, what you'd like to see in series two. Email me at unionjews at makes dot thinkcom You can join the discussion on Twitter by tweeting us at Jews Union, And if you can rate us on the podcast platform of your choice, That would be very much appreciated. This episode is being recorded on what is National Windrush Day, the day that 72 years ago the Emperor Windrush docked at Tilbury with the first large-scale wave of immigration from the West Indies. If you know a bit about this but want to find out more, I thoroughly recommend Amelia Gentleman's book, The Windrush Betrayal Exposing the Hostile Environment, published last year by Guardian Books. It is a heartbreaking but but absolutely detailed, unmissable account of what's happened and why it's happened in the years since the Windrush Doctor Tilbury. It's also appropriate at this point to endorse the Black Lives Matters campaign. Uh, I'm big on football as some of you may know and it was really it was really quite a moment to see Uh, players in the Premiership uh, and and in the Championship as well at the weekend take the knee just before kick-off of their respective games. So all power to that movement and the struggle against racism and for genuine equality in our society. Shout-out too to the key workers. Pandemic, lockdown may have been relaxed, but the risk is still there for many people who keep the country going and keep us all safe. As we reach the end of this first series of Union Jews, I'm left reflecting that... The trade union movement and the reps I've spoken to are knackered and battered. It's been an unprecedentedly busy, challenging, worrying period, but unions have done their members proud. Unions have done society proud. We've shown that by acting in partnership and by contributing to public policy debates, unions and the members that we represent are a valid value add part of the discussion a necessary part of the discussion that takes the country out of this mess that we're still wallowing in just because the sun is shining and lockdown has been relaxed. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. There's a huge challenge ahead. Unions are part of the solution and are widely recognized as such. And that's got to be a good thing. So my personal thanks and acknowledgement of all the effort that all the union reps at whatever level they are in the union do. Union Jews will be back for a second series in September. Please do send us your ideas, your thoughts, your hopes, what you'd like to see people you'd like us to speak to. The email address again, unionjews at makes-u-think.com. If you head over to the website, which is www.makes-u-think.com, you will find a companion blog to this podcast in which you'll find all the signposting, all the links to all the things we've spoken about on this episode. It just leaves me to thank all my guests who have joined me on this first series of Union Jews, to thank you again for listening, to say whatever you're doing, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you soon. The Union Jews podcast is presented by me, Simon Sappo. It is a Makes You Think production.